Good evening, church family. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your hand upon our life, Lord, and the things you want to do in our hearts, Lord, and how our hearts, Lord, always wander from one place to the next and how you want to settle each one of our hearts down, Lord, that we could be quiet before you, Lord, and hear your voice louder than any other voice in the world, Lord, and any other idol in our life, whether it be um, the job or even our own family, our spouses or whatever, Lord, let, let us be free from anything that would get in the direction of and distraction of our relationship with you, Lord. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom in the days we live in, Lord, that we would have a heart for the things of Christ, Lord, break up the follow ground in our hearts, Lord, the, the parts, Lord, that are need to be, Lord, um, broken in pieces so you can put us back together again. And so, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, teach us the things we don't know, the things that we do, Lord. Let them become alive. Let, them be a, let your word be a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And, Lord, and most of all, Lord, you said that it is settled in heaven. Let it settle in our hearts. And so, Father, as David prayed, let the words in my mouth... And the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer. I do pray in Jesus' name, and we mean Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. So tonight we are in 1 Kings chapter 19, which is a good chapter. You know, you know, every... It's funny that every week I pray, let the words in my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Y'all look at me like, where are you? That's Psalm 19, verse 14. It's in the Bible, you know. So it's just a verse. It's just nice to quote while you're praying. Um, so 1 Kings chapter 19. An interesting chapter because last week when you look at chapter 18, it's almost like polar opposites in a sense. One, one chapter, you have one man, same man, but in two different chapters. And the storyline is written for us, for us to learn something. And so tonight, if you want to learn something, just say amen. amen. Just say amen again. Amen. So tonight we're going to learn something that I think is so important for all of us in here, sitting here tonight, to learn this really, really important lesson. And Elijah is going to be the one who gives us this lesson. Elijah, the Tishbite, the one that walked into Ahab's, you know, the temple precinct. And he says, there will be neither dew nor rain. And in First um, Kings chapter 17, verse 1, there will be neither dew nor rain nor dew except at my word. And he prayed before he went to see Ahab. You know, James tells us that the Lord's brother in James chapter 5 give us commentary and the Holy Spirit allows us to dig deeper into what, what, what was the state of mind of Elijah. It was a man like we were with the same nature as us. And he said, prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain in the land for three years and six months. We look at that and we say, well, hold up. Why would he pray that it wouldn't rain? Because Elijah was a man, God will never use a man of God that don't know the word of God. He will never use a person that don't know the word of God to be his vessel. Everybody he uses in the Bible, they knew him, they knew the word of the living God. And Elijah knew the word of God. He understood Deuteronomy chapter 11, 
that when Israel was in sin as a nation, as the nation would just walk away from God and do whatever they wanted to do, and he understood Deuteronomy chapter 28 and so forth, but he understood that the nation of Israel, the only way it would not reign in the nation of Israel, the only way if they were in sin, God would always provide rain for the nation of Israel as long as they obeyed his commandments, keep, kept his precepts, his statutes, his judgments, and, you know, and, and the word of the living God. If they obeyed the word of the living God, they would always have rain. And so for a nation not to have rain that was supposed to be God's chosen people, and they were, but they were supposed to be God's people leading the whole world to Jehovah, to Yahweh, the holy God of Israel, Elohim. They were supposed to be the nation that God would use, not because they were a great nation, but because they were the least of the nations, and God wanted them to be as a nation that they would evangelize the world in a sense. And so Elijah knew that. Elijah knew that, you know, this Phoenician woman that Ahaz marries, unequally yoke, marries a woman, a Phoenician woman, she named Jezebel. And Jezebel worshipped a different God. That's why Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What fellowship does Christ have with Bilal? You know, polar opposites, differences in the sense that they had one God, Israel had another God, the two came together, and who do you think had more influence? Jezebel had more influence over Ahab than Ahab had over Jezebel, and so what God became the national God of Israel? Baal. And Ahab was one of those kind of guys, well, whatever she wanted to do, let her do it. And he lost his position as a man. And it introduced the whole nation to a God that God didn't know anything about. And so God defeats Baal on Mount Carmel. He defeats Baal, you know, if he was the rain God or whatever God they thought he was, a fertility God or whatever they thought Baal could do, it didn't rain, so if he could make it rain, he couldn't do that. And so Elijah is at the zenith of his prophetic ministry. He's at the top of his ministry. He's at a place where, you know, he can say, I know what God can do. I prayed and I watched him do it, and I've seen all the things that God could do. Nobody is greater than my God. Nobody, he's, he's great and he does wondrous things. Nobody is greater than our God. Amen? Amen. And we all know that. But when it's time to apply it, that's a whole different story. You can sing all the songs you want to sing about how great is our God. Yeah, our God is greater, <laughs> you know, stronger in mind. You know, we can sing a million songs, great are you, Lord, you give life. We can sing all those songs, but they have to be applied at a certain part of a time or situation or circumstance or whatever God allows in our lives. Now we got to really believe what we say we believe. And if we don't believe what we say we believe, when difficulties come and times are hard come, you know what we do? We falter and we turn away from the living God. Yet we can talk about him all we want to. So, oh, you know, God. And here Elijah's public ministry went from, you know, is into the zenith of Mount Carmel to the depths of 
you know, discouragement and, you know, dejection. <laughs> this is the great prophet Elijah. And look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 19. I think you look at this and it'll make sense to you what I'm trying to convey tonight. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And it's interesting that Ahab had the wrong perspective. He said all that Elijah had done. It really wasn't Elijah doing anything, but it was the Lord who had defeated these false gods and deities and, and Baal. Now notice this next verse because this changes the whole ministry of one man. You just defeated 450 prophets. One man, God, used you mightily. And one verse changed your whole entire life. It says, then Jezebel sent, notice, a... Definite article, a messenger. This is the work of the evil one. Sent, notice it says, a messenger with one message. She sent a messenger to Elijah, and here's the message saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. <laughs> now keep in mind that this is only a message. These are only words, you know, you know, some people say action speaks louder than words, but here words speak louder than action. And Elijah didn't actually see her face to face. Just some messenger said this to him, you know, so let the gods do to me. And more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, he says, and she puts a particular time about this time. Elijah didn't actually see her. And look how fast we can direct our attention to something negative and how quickly we can forget all the great things that God has done in our lives and how he has used us in our lives. Heard an old preacher said one day, most pastors wake up in the morning and they just quote the Psalms with great joy. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And by the end of the day, they turn to Job. Cursed be the day that I was born. I wish I was still born. <laughs> That's how life can be in all of our lives. You can wake up in the morning having devotions. Praise the Lord, Lord. Use me for your glory, Lord. Praise the Lord. You're running to work. You got your Christian music on. You got K-Love on. And you listen to Charles Stanley or Joe or something. You listen to your Christian radio. And you're just praising the Lord. This is the day that the Lord. And you, I will rejoice. You can hear you. Good morning. How you doing? Great. The Lord is good. Praise the Lord. Oh, it's a 12 o'clock meeting. You just got laid off. And all you can think about is everything you might have done wrong, and this is why God is getting you back. That's what you'll think, oh, God, he laid me what about? And then, and then the enemy will use it all. Remember those paper clips you stole that day? Or remember when you used a copy or unauthorized? Or remember when you took that long break that they saw all of that? That's why you got laid off first. Not knowing that God laid you from that dumb job to give you a better job and use you at the next place. We don't see it like that. We just see right now. And Elijah was just like us. This is the nature like we did. And verse 3 says, 
And when he saw that, saw, Elijah had his eyes fixed on the problem and on what he heard and not on God. He somehow lost his perspective of who God is and what great works the Lord had just used him to perform. He forgot that fast. He's, you know, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now he's walking by sight and not by faith. So you can't please God that way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he that comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. At this point, this message short circuit Elijah's following of the Lord. You know, you can get one message and it can short circuit you following the Lord. And it says that, and when he saw that, he arose and noticed and ran for his life. You know he could run real fast. He outran the chariots, remember? He ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Remember that? The last verse of the last chapter. So we knew that he, he had supernatural speed, like must have been a track star. But he ran for his life and went to Beersheba. This is about 100 miles, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. This is one of the big problems that Elijah has. He leaves his servant a hundred miles behind. Take note that whenever we are in great distress and discouragement, the last thing that we should want to do is be alone. And that's how the enemy gets people. He said, I'll get you alone. Hard day, somebody died or something. Oh, just you need to be alone. I just need to be alone. And the enemy, he said, yes. I like when you're alone. Oh, yes. If I can get you alone, you'll think all kind of weird stuff. He loves to attack us when we're alone. Christ fasted for 40 days, and Satan comes right when he was alone. Eve, away from her husband, right when she was alone. He loves to catch us by, when we're all by ourselves. He loves to catch us when we're all by ourselves. We should be around other believers you know, he's, you know, he's alone, so he's anxious, he's, his anger there, it's, uh, apprehensive. he's apprehensive. You know, all these things are happening and running through his mind because now he heard one message from one woman and he changed his whole entire life. He forgot about how God used him last week when we looked at it on Mount Carmel. He forgot all about that. He forgot how he laid on top of the little kid and he came back to life. He forgot how God did supernatural things in his life. He forgot that fast. How many of us, when God used your life, you forgot all about how he used you 10 years ago? And how he was doing things in your life. And the minute something happened, I'm out of that ministry. I'm out of, you don't know, you don't know what I'm going through. You're coming back to church? No. Why? Because God has need of you. You, were, you. you was his servant. You're still his servant. Well, not anymore. I'm done. I quit. Charles Spurgeon said, let not suppose that pastor who quit, that he was called by God at all. Who do you quit on, especially if you're a pastor in the ministry? Who do you quit on? How do you, who do you quit on? Who do you write your resignation letter to if God called you? Who do you quit if you're Elijah the Tishbite, the prophet that God chose up, the man of God? Who do you quit on when you quit? Who do you send your, res your, your, you know, your, your letter of resignation to? If God called you to the ministry, who are you quitting on? 
You know why? Because most of us don't like problems. The minute a problem comes, we start saying, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. My life can't be crafted for this one because this is way, way more difficult than I ever could ever imagine. And do you know that you can hear God's voice a little bit better when it's difficult? It is a still quiet voice, but you can hear it. And it says in verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's really going deeper into isolation and seclusion. And came and sat down under a broom or, or a juniper tree. And he prayed. Notice what his prayer is. Look at this prayer in verse 4. Now listen to this. This is interesting. And he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. <laughs> you know, one message is enough, he said. It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. <laughs> for I'm no longer better than my father's. This is not suicide because Elijah asked the Lord to take his life, not for himself. He said, take my life. This is the same Elijah with Moses who meets Jesus Christ on Mount Hermon. And when Jesus is transfigured, it says that this Elijah appeared with Moses. Moses represented the law, Elijah represents the prophets. In the Revelation chapter 11, that's who's those two men, those two prophets, is Moses and Elijah. And here he said, Lord, I quit. You better be careful when you tell the Lord you quit because you might get fired. Then as he laid and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. God knows when to minister to us. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake, a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. He should have realized he's been used to those miracles. God fed him with the ravens, remember? Not the Baltimore ravens, the ravens. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Elijah eats and goes back to sleep. But this time, not a raven who fed him, not a widow, but from the hand of the living God. He feeds this discouraged prophet. You ever been discouraged and somebody you don't even know say something to you and encourage you? God knows that he needed a personal touch. God knows his own. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. He knows when we had enough. He knows when we, like, almost, I can't take some more, Lord. You know, he knows that. He knows that. However, God did not remove the problem. He didn't remove the problem. But he's ministering to the one, Elijah, who has the problem. He didn't remove the problem. God didn't remove Jezebel and Ahab, but he perfects Elijah in the midst of his circumstances. He didn't remove her. You know, we want God remove that problem. Remove it right now. Kill. He, we would have been praying, God, kill, kill Jezebel, Lord, kill her. He didn't remove the problem. Remember Simon Peter, what the Lord told Simon? The Lord told Peter something that's real interesting. The Lord said, he called him twice, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan acts for you that he may sift you like wheat. The Lord said, that's what he asked for. And Jesus said this, but I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. No, the writer of Hebrews says that 
Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For Christ has not entered the holy places, you know, made with hands, which are copies of the true, of, of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You ask people, could you pray for me? I'm going through something. They might, they might not. But Christ is always at the right hand of the Father making intercessory prayer for us. He's always at the right hand of the Father. So God had not forgotten Elijah. He was his servant. He was the servant of the Lord. Remember James says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours in James chapter 5 verse 17. You should always remember that verse. When you're going through something, they were human beings that God used to do supernatural things, but they were still human beings with emotions and problems. And the scripture has given us a vivid picture of the nature of the man of Elijah. It's, it's like almost showing us the Holy Spirit saying, this is what he was made of. Not his prophetic gift here, but the man in all, that's in all of us that changes our circumstances. When circumstances and situations change, all of us change. You say, well, not really. I'll give you case in point. You wake up in the morning, you're already running late. You get outside, you got a flat tire. And you already got a warning from work. If you're late one more time, you know, don't even come. I'll call Uber. They'll be here in a few minutes. They only show up. Circumstances can make us do things we would have never thought we would do. So don't never say, I'll never do that. No, don't never say that. Peter said, oh, Lord, if all for sake, I'll be with you. Until he saw those Roman, that cohort of Romans, about 600 Roman soldiers come with lanterns and swords. He was the only one who said, no, Lord, I'll, he was the one who said, I'll die, which he was the first one and took out his little knife and, and cut Malchus's ear off, remember? Because circumstances could make all of us do things we would have never thought that we were capable of doing or even that we even wanted to do. How many of us had circumstances say, Lord, just, just, I'm done, I'm done, I don't want no more, Lord. And the Lord says, really? How are you going to ever learn who I am if you don't hang in there? The minute we get stuff we don't like, we're ready to quit. I'm done. I am done. <laughs> Why? Because circumstances change. That's what we really should be saying. And it says in verse 7, and the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, not an angel, the angel, the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. We need the bread of life. You know, we need the living word of God and the, the water of the Holy Spirit flowing from our hearts for our spiritual life to be sustained. Because the journey is too great for us to travel if we do it in the flesh. We can't do it in the flesh, not by power, not by might, but by the spirit of the Lord of hosts. We can't do this. We can't live this life in the flesh and expect to hear God's voice. You can't do it. You can't do it. So he ran and ate and drank, and he went in the strength, notice, 
of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, which is Sinai, the mountain of God. He ate once and lived off this food for six weeks almost. Jesus in, you know, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through um, 11, it says, and where he was tired and he was tested by the devil, and Moses had a 40-day experience without food. This is where the Lord spoke to Moses the most. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, the Lord, that's when the Lord spoke. That's when he heard the Lord's voice the most. And it says, and then, meaning Elijah, he went into a cave, one cave, and spent the night in that place, Notice, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he, this is Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh, who tabernacled among us, this is Jesus, said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Word of the Lord came to Elijah. How many times the word of the Lord came to Elijah? Look, 1 Kings 17, 1, 1 Kings 17, 8, 1 Kings 18, 1, 1 Kings 19, 9, right here in this verse, he said, the word of the Lord came to him, you know, now, you know, behold, the word of the Lord, it means, behold, the word came to him, see, the word came to him, so he said, this is what Elijah is saying to the Lord, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of, of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Notice, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. This is not true at all. This is not true. Because if you remember back in the last chapter, in chapter 18, verse 4, it says, For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. He had 50 prophets in each cave. So there were the prophets. Because what the enemy makes us think, when we go on through stuff, we're the only ones going through it. He will amplify that to the max. You're the only one in the world with this problem. Oh, you're the only one. And it says, then he, then he go, then he said, go out, this is the Lord speaking to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, notice, a still, small voice. The Lord did not appear to Elijah as he did to Moses, but he appears to Elijah, this despondent, discouraged, and downcast prophet with a gentle, still voice. Jesus, you know, makes reference of himself, his autobiography of himself. Jesus says, look, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You going through something tonight? Come unto Jesus. Elijah needed rest, rest for his soul. 
I love David wrote Psalm 37. I love what David writes in Psalm 37 in verse 7. I love what he writes in that verse because David says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Wait on the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You're going through something, you're supposed to wait on the Lord. Not go flipping out because you don't know what's going to happen. People, oh, God, this is next. You get a little bit of information, you just go crazy. <laughs> you say, this is crazy. How can I go through this? Oh, my God, help me. Oh, Lord, please help me. And, and God is saying, what? Don't you remember the past miracles I did in your life? Don't you know in the past I did things in your life that only I could have done, nobody else, only me? And now you're flipping out because you don't know what's going on? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not towards your own understanding. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by, with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, making your request known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, all knowledge, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Meditate on the right things, things that are a good report, things that are praiseworthy. We always meditate on the bad. You get a little bit of news, you're trying to investigate to get more bad news. Doctor told this woman, I heard a story today at, 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 at a meeting. One of the guys says, you know, the doctor told his mother, you got six weeks to live. She looked at the doctor. She said, yeehaw! The doctor was freaking out. She said, I, I'm going home. I'm going home. How many of us, if we go to the doctor tomorrow and he says, you got a week to live, would come and say, oh, I can't believe, this is wonderful. Thank you, Lord. This is wonderful. I can't believe, I'm going to see you, Lord. I, we wouldn't, Hezekiah prayed for 15 more, prayed and the Lord gave him 15 more years instead of him praying, Lord, take me home. I know it's far better to be with you. He prayed for 15, he wanted to stay here. Isn't that crazy? He wanted to stay. It was the worst 15 years of his life. Three years into the 15 years, he had a son by the name of Manasseh, who was the most wickedest king in all of Judah, who reigned for 55 years at the age of 12 until he was 67. And he was the wickedest man that lived and undone every, done everything that his father did. And his father was a righteous man. Isn't that something? If you went to the doctor tomorrow, he said, you're going to die. People said, they text him, pray for us. They just said, I'm going to die. I ain't going to make it. That ain't going to be me. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to text all and say, they, they're probably going to have to get another pastor because I'm going to heaven. I was in the hospital that time. Everybody's praying for Don't let him die. I'm like, Lord, if I can go home now, hallelujah. Who would want to be here unless you have the wrong perspective about heaven? If you know enough about heaven, you would never want to be here. You would never want to be. Why would I want to be here? You pay taxes. <laughs> it's got disease, <laughs> robberies. Why would I want to be here? Look, church, we have to have an eternal perspective because if you don't, the minute something happens, you're ready to quit. Mature Christians have an eternal perspective. 
They not laying on the bed in the hospital. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. Ooh, call the kids up around me. I told my wife, if I die, bury me in the backyard. She so might hold me to that too. Y'all better be careful. But it says in verse 13, so it was when Elijah heard it, this small, still voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, uh, this is the same, it's another time again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, same exchange, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. So he's taken, to, he's taken it to the Lord, tore down your altars. In other words, they replaced it with the other altars to false deities and gods and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they, not they, but Jezebel, it was one woman, one threat, one, you know, one message, you know, one misconception of the power of God changes Elijah's perspective of who God is. One message, did you imagine that? He says, I alone, and that's the wrong perspective, it's not the truth. I am alone left, and they... Only Jezebel wasn't a they, she said it. Seek to take my life. That's why I think two is better than one. Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, send them out by twos. Two is better than one. The Bible says it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I think it's in verse 9, if I'm not mistaken, it says that two is better than one. Two is better than one. Two is better than one. It's always better to be with another person, to run stuff by people. If Elijah, he's, Elijah problem too, remember, he left his servant, remember? He should have brought the servant with him. At least he would have somebody to talk to. Him. Man, I wouldn't be worrying about that woman with all that makeup on, the stuff she's talking about, man. She's worrying about some old Jezebel for her. You know, because remember when Paul, he had a harsh words, harsh, he had sharp words. Him and Barnabas over John Mark, because John Mark left him in Pamphylia. In, in, in Acts chapter 15, you know, Paul, it, then he had this vision. It was this man crying, said, come over here. The Macedonia cry. He ends up going to Europe, which is Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. So whatever, whatever rules were in Rome, they were the same rules in Philippi. In fact, if you lived in Philippi, your birth records were in Rome because you were a colony. So the only God in Philippi was Caesar was Lord. Paul entered the city, this girl with a spirit of divination, screams out loud, these are the servants of the Most High God who, prepare, you know, who shows the way and all this. And they didn't need her help, for sure. But they take Paul, the magistrates, when you read Acts chapter 16, verses 20 through 32, they beat Paul and, and Silas. They put them in the inner prison. They beat them eagle style, put them on the stocks. They were like this. And they whipped them and they beat them. And Silas and Paul, they bloody backs. And I guess Silas looked at Paul and Paul looked at Silas. What's that song we used to sing in Jerusalem? And they started praying and singing hymns and the prisoners started listening to them. And it was a great earthquake. And this, you know, Roman soldier comes running out, you know, ready to take his life. You know, because in Rome, if you, somebody got away on your shift, if you was a Roman soldier, you would put to death. And he comes running out, ready to take his life. Paul says, no, 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 we are here. 
And then he looks at Paul and says, well, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Could you imagine if Paul had that experience by himself? That's why we shouldn't forsake the gathering or the assembly of ourselves together with one another in the church. You should be at church. You should be around other Christians. We're not an organization. It's a living organism. Something happens when you're around other Christians, whether they know what's going on with you or not. When you walk into a church and the Bible is being taught and is worship and you can sense God's presence there with two or three gathered, he's in the midst. He's right there with us. And you leave out there, you say, I don't know, they don't know all my problems, but something happened in my heart that gave me a little more hope. Elijah didn't have that. He was a loner. He was a loner. He was the unsociable one. He, you know, Elisha would be way more social, but he's the one that's not too social. Like John the Baptist or somebody, by himself. I got friends. Look, I like having friends. I don't know about you, but I have friends. I got good friends in Philly, in New York, in D.C., in different places, some in Florida, these different places, around the, some in California. I have friends. I believe in having friends. I would never try to do this by myself. I still go to my pastor's staff meeting. I'm like a kid in the first grade, still left out every year. You know, and they, they, they ain't getting rid of me. It, you know, if I, if I can get there, I'm there. Because I know it's a horrible thing to try to do this thing alone. You'll start having delusional thinking. Like the world we live in. The world now is delusional. It's just delusional. That's why they want artificial intelligence. Because it's so delusional. That's delusional. It says, then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. This is a Gentile king. He's the fifth king of, the, of Syria in the Bible. He's number five. He's mentioned the fifth king thus far. He would reign from 8041 to 8. 06 BC, he's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 15, he would replace Ben Hadad II. And he says, Also, you shall anoint Jehu, which means Jehovah is he, the son of Nimshai. Now, that's a crazy name. Nimshai in the Hebrew, it means weasel. As king of Israel, this northern kingdom. And Elijah, Elijah was, means God is Savior. God is the Savior. God is our Savior. God, God is Savior. Elisha, not Elijah. This is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola. Now, Abel Mahola, which was located on the western side of the Jordan Valley by um, Tabith, when you read Judges chapter 7, verse 22, which means Abel uh, Mahola means brook of water, and we know that it was a drought for three and a half years, so it is appropriate for God to raise up the next prophet in Elijah's place who would plow up the land that Elijah had already watered. He would plow it up. You shall anoint as prophet. Notice he says, this Elijah, you shall anoint as prophet. And you know what he's telling Elijah? 
This is sad, but this is a fact. You're fired, buddy. You're done. <laughs> You're done. You shall anoint as prophet. Notice it says as prophet in your place. So that means this is the end of your ministry. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved, and he's telling Elijah this, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed them. God was in control. He had 7,000 others who has not bowed the knee down to Baal. And Elijah kept saying, I'm alone. I'm the only one alone. I'm the only one didn't bow down. I'm the only one doing work at the church. It's only me. I'm the only one here serving. I'm the only one. You're never the only one. It's just your perception. You're never, we're never the only one. I'm the only one in Philadelphia preaching the word of God. That's just nonsense. I'm not the, I would never be the only one. God would never just depend on one person to do what he's trying to do. He only sent one person that could do what he wanted them to do, and that was his only son. And God is the one, God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another, it says in Psalm 75, verse 7. He does that. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes to turn it. God also have those prepared to whom he will raise up. Next, he always got the next generation he's ready to raise up. Instead of God rebuking Elijah for his self-pity, he gives him three new assignments before he takes him off the scene. Anoint Haziel as king of Israel. Anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshai, king of Israel. And anoint Elijah, the son of Shaphat, as the next prophet who will be in your place. So he departed from there, I guess he did, and found Elijah. Now, keep in mind, Elijah is only about 15 years old right about now. The son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him, notice, and threw his mantle on him. Some water and some plant, but God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Elijah will later ask Elijah for a double portion of Elijah's anointing and prophetic spirit to do even more greater works. When we get to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he'll say, no, I want to do more stuff than what you did. Like Jesus told the disciples, you'll do greater works than me. And he found this young man, and it says, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah, this bald-headed prophet. E e Elisha is going to be a bald-headed man. Isn't that different? That's different. You know, I can, I can identify with that man. When they're going to say, go on up, bald-head, <laughs> they're going to be teasing, go on up, bald-head. You know, the kid's going to be teasing, go on, and that what they teasing them about was, when Elijah gets raptured and taken up in the whirlwind, they're going to tell Elijah, you go up too. And that's when those bears came out and mauled those kids, remember? It's interesting. And he left the oxen and ran up to Elijah and said, notice, please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. That's how we know he was young. 
And he said to him, go back again for what I have, for what I, what I have to do with you. What I, you know, go back and do that. So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment. That's sad. You know, imagine you have a little oxen in the backyard. You, see, you know him by name, Johnny. You know, one of the guys said they had sheep and, you know, you cook the sheep and the little kid said, where's Johnny at? And, and dad looking up. That's the barbecue you just ate. Imagine that. Using the oxen's equipment and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose, notice, and followed Elijah. Notice the first thing he did. Any of the young guys that want to be in ministry, the only way you can really learn ministry is learn how to serve the people that God has in your life. And he becomes, he became his servant. Like you, you, you learn how to serve you because you watch the people you run. Not that stuff they do with, you know, somebody talking about your armor bearer and they carrying your Bible. And I'm not talking about that nonsense. I'm talking about this was a farewell feast that, that was allowed by Elijah. But now this young man who's going to be his successor learns how to serve. He learns how to serve. This is not to be mistaken as Elijah say, you know, says, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. This does not mean that he didn't want to follow Elijah because he already said farewell. He accepted the call, but he wanted to leave properly honoring his father and his mother. It's not a New Testament concept. He would believe in his community, his friends, both he and Elijah. There is, is no mention of them being married. And I'm sure they never were married. Never mentions that they were married. Jesus met, you know, the, you know, met some of his disciples mending nets. John and James. He said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they all left and followed them. They left their jobs. They had a good, you know, James and John, their father, Zebedee, had servants, so they had money. They weren't that poor. They left their lucrative fishing business to follow somebody they didn't know what to expect. Elijah does the same thing. He don't know what to expect of them when he's following this man. This hairy man, probably with a belt, you know, looked like John the Baptist, hair all over his head, you know, locks he probably had. And you looked at Elijah, you said, wow. You know, it says John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, I think it's verse 27, will come in the power of Elijah. And you start thinking about that, you say, wow. How many of us would learn the lesson that you don't change your perspective of who God is despite what you're going through? Because it says in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. Jesus didn't say be of good cheer, I've overcome tribulation, because he's going to get crucified. He says be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Because greater that's he that's in us is than he who's in the world. Many other afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us from every last one of them. So our problems shouldn't be problems that we take control of. Our problems, we should lay them before the Lord and say, Lord, you allowed this to happen. What glory are you trying to get out of this? Not why, but what are you trying to do here, Lord? What are you trying to do here, Lord? 
If I lost everything, would I still love the Lord? Or if you just woke up tomorrow and, and, and you get to work and the doors are locked, that you went, oh, we went out of business, would you, would you look up and say, Lord, I know you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You'll still take care of me. You said I once was old, like David said, and now I'm young. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seat begging bread. Lord, I trust you, Lord. I really trust you. I really trust you. I really trust you. I really trust that whatever is going on, even in my own personal life, I really trust the Lord. I trust him. I see my wife have cancer twice. Not one time have I said, Lord, what did we do wrong? What? I said, Lord, you give it and you take it away. But blessed be the name of the living God. And I know that he's able. I know that ain't religion when you get to that place. That's you standing on, you know, almost the other side of the Jordan looking and saying, Lord, if my time has come, oh boy. You know, I remember being in the hospital. I had so many dreams. Every time I think about the hospital, I think about that little boy right there. That little boy right there. He blessed me more than anybody called me in the hospital. I don't know how I picked up my phone. Kakai, he calls me in the middle of, I'm in the hospital, out of my mind. And this little voice out here, I pick up my phone. I don't even know how I picked up the phone. He said, Pastor Mark, I don't know how to pray, but I know I love you, and I don't want nothing to happen to you. That meant more to me than any call I got in 50 years because I knew it was the Lord. I knew that it was the Lord. I knew it was the Lord. And you got to know that in those times, the Lord know how to speak to all of us. In those moments, he know how to speak to all of us. He can speak and say, peace, be still. Or he can say, be still in my peace. It's one way or the other. And you can trust him. The peace of God that surpasses all knowledge. Christ is our peace, it says in Ephesians 2.14. He is our peace. So the minute you hear bad news, don't come running. Don't go, don't start saying, God, how could this happen? You should say, oh, thank God it did happen. Now I can learn more about who God is. Or if you lose a loved one, some people lose a loved one. Believers, they go ballistic. I'm like, are you kidding me? You mean to tell me you got control of somebody leaving here? You gotta be kidding. That's sovereignty. I don't want my grandmother to die. Your grandmother's going to die one day. I don't want my mom to die. Your mom's going to die one day. They're going to all die. That's sovereignty. That, you don't have nothing to do with that. When those things happen, you do mourn. You do weep. But then you get yourself together and say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for the years you've given me, Lord, with that person. Thank you for the examples. Thank you for all the things I learned from them that made me the person that I am. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But don't let your life be so dear to yourself that every circumstance move you. Paul said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. None of these things move me. And Elijah, the minute he heard this one message from one messenger, from one woman, he said, I'm out of here. 
And slowly but surely, the Lord encouraged them. And the Lord encouraged them. He didn't rebuke them. Because that's a human being. But the sovereignty of God said, Lord, you allowed it to happen. If you can say that in your circumstances and say, Lord, not why, but what do you want to do here, Lord? Get some glory out of this. I don't understand it, but Lord, get some glory out of this. Amen? Amen. Let's give thanks. Let's pray for the Lord. Let's give the Lord a big praise tonight if you love the Lord. Let's stand up as we pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for this example. Lord, we don't understand everything, but we do know that you're sovereign. You're omnipresent. You're omniscient. You're omnipotent, Lord. You hold the world into the palm of your hand, Lord. And in all of it, Lord, we can still live in such a way that we understand that it's not about what we want to do, it's about what you want to do in our lives. What do you want to do in our lives, Lord? To make us look more like Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we want to look like you, Lord. We want to walk like you. We know the days will come where some of us will be tried and tested. As it says in the Bible, in Revelation 2, 10, Lord, we know, Lord, that there will be times where we would have to stand up for Jesus Christ in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation where you expect us to shine as lights. So, Lord, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because we know, Lord, Father, it's the dunamis power of God. It's the miraculous power of God. Use the lives of these here tonight, Lord, for your glory. Whether it be through sickness and through health, hardship, disappointment, or through plenty. Lord, in the times of prosperity and things going right in our life. But use us for your glory. We love you, we honor you, we praise you. In the name of Jesus we pray and for his sake. Let God's people say amen. Amen. Let's sing this last song together.